right, we are live. We are live with Jason Falls. Welcome, ad leakers. Um, Jason Falls came across to you on one of the top, Luke, what was it, 50, 100 people to follow? Um, yeah, marketers. <laughs> also, association with ad leaks, some of the members from the agencies working with are ad leaks members. So, how's it going, Jason? It's going great. Thanks for having me on the show, man. No, thanks for thanks for joining us today. Um I'd like to learn a little bit more about you. Um, Luke sent me over kind of your high-level bio, and there's some pretty big talking points in here, such as Ford and working with, um, you know, Richard Branson, Mark Cuban, things of that nature. So why don't you give us like the five to ten minute elevator speech of kind of <laughs> – I know that's a long elevator speech, but it's a long ride to the top. Yeah, I was going to say, you might want to get my mom on the phone. She could probably do it better than I could, but uh... – <laughs> Yeah, I mean the the long and short of me is you know I'm 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 a, a the senior influence strategist is my title uh, at Cornet, which is a full service advertising agency based in Lexington, Kentucky. We're a, uh, a an agency in Lexington, Kentucky, not a Lexington, Kentucky agency because our clients are you know Tempur Pedic, Sealy, uh, the Buffalo Trace family of bourbons, so Eagle Rare, Weller, etc. Um, we work with you know mostly national and even global brands. We just happen to be in Lexington, Kentucky. Um, we do, you know, the local CVB and Kingland Thoroughbred Racetrack, and a lot of other clients as well that have a Kentucky tie, but they're they have a you know a national or international footprint. And um, my background is in public relations. I'm a PR guy by trade. I happened to you know land at an advertising agency about you know 15 years or so ago um, when the whole social media thing was kind of coming to a head, and businesses and brands were starting to ask questions. You know, what are these blogs? What are these social networks? How can we use them? And I had, because I had spent the previous 15 years in college athletics at small colleges trying to drum up, you know, PR support for our student athletes, um, you know, I was playing around on the internet all the time. And so I kind of knew what these blogs and forums and message boards were and started, you know, talking to our clients at the agency I was, I was working at then. And, um, you know, they started nodding their head and saying, yeah, that sounds good. Let's do that. And because I was working with, you know, some uh, brands in the, in the spirits industry, in the bourbon world, um, and some healthcare and some financial services, I started getting invited to a lot of conferences to talk about regulated industries and social media. So that was kind of my first foray into people knowing who I was. And I had a, you know, a blog that, you know, was a modest little thought leadership attempt that became somewhat big social media explorer might be a ring a bell for a few people out there it was it was my blog for quite some time I, I sold it in 2014 it became an agency and I ended up selling the business but at one point ad age uh, you know ranked at the top marketing blog in the world and they had some power ranking thing back then so um, I was looking at that and it looks almost like a PBN now kind of yeah 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 it's uh it's definitely it's changed hands a couple of times since i sold it i sold the business to a business partner who continued to grow the agency and then she was acquired by another agency and then i think they ended up selling it because it, whatever reason they bought it for they you know acquired the assets or the clients or whatever it was and then they sold it off and so i think it's basically being used as a, uh, you know, kind of a link farm kind of place now, which is disappointing for me, but I didn't have anything to do with it. So that's, that's yeah, the way that we works. Got paid. 
Yeah, I got paid. So, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm, 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 I've always been a, uh, at least for the last 15 years or so, I've just kind of morphed into a digital strategist, social media strategist for uh, brands and uh, kind of playing the agency space. I had a, a brief two year respite where I went out onto the brand side and worked as a VP for digital strategy at Cafe Press, big online uh, internet retailer. Uh, that does custom products, but I've for the most part been an agency guy. And so I love, you know, helping brands figure out the world of digital and communications and social. Um, my big focus right now is, is mostly on influencer marketing because it's where the opportunities are. Um, and, uh, you know, because we were doing some pretty innovative stuff with influencers here a couple of years ago, I, you know, started uh, writing another book. It's my third book. And so that came out in February. And so I've been talking a lot about influencer marketing. I host a podcast about it and, uh, that's kind of what I do. Okay. Influencer marketing is an interesting topic. I'm by no means an expert in it at all. Very dabbled, very little in the space. How does a brand get started in that when people think influencer they think kim kardashian kylie <laughs> jenner million dollars a post yeah thing but how do you how do you how do you get started and how do you make it measurable with sure brands? well and that's really you know kind of the point of my book is to say that when we think of the term influencer we think of the kardashians and we think of people with you know big networks on instagram and youtube and people who are you know what i call the the peace sign duck lips crowd you know those those people um, people who are living their best life. Um, and, and, and the reason we're, we're kind of backed into that corner with that word influencer is because for most people, the introduction that they've had to influencers is the mainstream media portraying them in some form or fashion. And the mainstream media doesn't care about them unless they're screwing up or doing something wrong or being superficial or whatever. And so when a business owner today comes to the you know, world of marketing and hears influencers are like, Oh, I don't want to deal with people with 500,000 fans on Instagram. I, you know, I'm, I want to move business. And so my, my book really says what we need to do is reframe how we think about influencer marketing. Cause we're kind of, we've backed ourselves into a corner with that word. So I argue in the book that we need to drop the R and call it influence marketing, because when you do that, it's a very subtle change, but it starts to kind of open the blinders a little bit and let you see the world of opportunity a little differently. So when I talk about influence marketing, I might be talking about Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, whatever, but I might also be a local business um, that sells to uh, parents. And so the president of the local PTA might be my best influencer. And I don't care how many people that person has in their follower account online, or even if they have an account online. Yep. So you're talking about government lobbyists, you're talking about community relations, you're talking about a lot of different things when you kind of broaden the perspective of that. And so I think for a business to get involved first and then make it measurable, to get involved, you really have to just kind of put yourself in the mindset of the audience you're trying to reach and think, okay, well, who influences me? How do I learn about products or services like, you know, the, the product or service you sell? Who talks to me about that? Is it that I get information from, you know, friends? If that's the case, then, you know, the, the Facebooks and the Twitters and whatnot might be relevant. Uh, do I get that information from searching online? Well, if I do, then maybe it's blogs and, you know, other things that are going to surface in those types of areas. Um, do I get that information from just word of mouth from talking to family and whatnot? Because that creates a different, you know, challenge, which can be addressed in, in an online way, but can also be addressed in, you know, word of mouth marketing techniques offline. Um, and so once you start to ask the question, who influences the audience that I'm trying to reach and, and how are they influenced? What channels are they reached through? Then you can start to see, okay, 
I have a pretty good pathway to get to that consumer. Now I've got to figure out how to get that third party that's between us involved and figure out what that looks like so that we can partner. Um, and I think the traditional way of thinking about it is I'm going to go pay them to you know, talk about me. Well, that might work in some cases, but it might not work in some cases. The president of the local PTA is probably going to be blindsided by an offer of you to pay them to mention, you know, whatever you do to the local PTA meeting. So you go to them in that circumstance and say, well, how can I partner with the local PTA to help you give you resources to be useful to your organization so that while I'm doing that, the, the members of the, of the parent teacher association can get to know who I am. Mm -hmm. um, and so you really just kind of start to work through the challenges per channel, per influencer, um, with, you know, that influencer being a very broad term at that point uh, to try to figure out what happens. Now, the measurement piece of it can be challenging, but I've always said that measurement is not hard. It can be complex, but it's not hard. And it's, but it's only not hard if you plan to measure. If you start out with, before you start anything, you think, what's my goal? What am I trying to accomplish? Well, if you know your goal, then all along the way, you need to set little data traps to know, am I getting closer to my goal? Yeah. And so if you're using online influencers and you're trying to sell products on your website, that's pretty simple. Let's give them some unique URLs with some UTM parameters on there so that you can track the traffic that's coming from influencer posts to your website and you can assign a value to every conversion that happens on your site to that channel of influencers. You um, use, um, are you using just Google Analytics like goals for that and setting yeah. up? Yeah. yeah, I mean, the we did one not too long ago. The last one I did, I had probably six or eight uh, influencers, and the whole goal was to get people to come to a, a client's website, and the conversion point was to uh, uh, click on a buy now button, but it was a buy now button that took them to a third party website to purchase something. Yeah. So really, all we were measuring were clicks. We didn't have a, a, a really elegant way at that point to tie it to an actual dollar amount. But we had, I think, eight or 10 influencers. And I basically went to, you know, uh, I had a short URL or a, a URL for them with a long UTM character string, ran it through Bitly, gave them a short URL that was tied to their names that was easy to remember and whatnot, gave them all the URL, and we just sat and watched it come in. And there were a couple that we actually experimented and said, I want to give you a unique URL for your Facebook and then a different URL for your Instagram and then a different one for your YouTube so that we could actually see how productive each of that influencer's channels were. And so that was more of a test. But if we actually do really advanced um, you know, measurement with big complex programs with lots of influencers, we can actually say, hey, when we spend money on influencers and we spend money on YouTube, we get this kind of return versus Instagram, which gives us this kind of return. And then we can know which influencers are better at it. Let's say I'm, uh, so a lot of our clients obviously are going to be e-commerce. So let's say I own um, a cosmetics company okay, and we do a subscription box and we also sell products. Our subscription mm -hmm. box is you know like first month free and then you get you know each recurring charge you get different like eyeliner lip stuff all that kind of stuff um pretty tight on budget we dabble in facebook we dabble in google started dabbling in tiktok uh it was just a recent purchase let's say i recently purchased the business and i'm not hitting my sales goals of where i need to be volume wise to keep up with trends so right. i want to dabble and do an influencer marketing but budget is very tight Right. How does one, you know, small team don't have, you know, use an agency, don't have like, you know, an influencer person, hedge digital, 
how does one go about getting started in that avenue um, where primarily they're focusing on subscription or getting people introduced to the brand? Because I don't have money to go pay $500 or $1,000 to a micro or a macro influencer. Talk to you a little bit about that. And then also while we're talking about that, let's kind of think about softwares that can tie into this because I know there's something like called like Billio app or Bill Billo app. I don't know if you've heard of that one, but is there anything else as well in that realm that can help people get started to go down that path of? Sure. Sure. There, there's a couple of ways that I would attack that in that situation. First of all, you know, I think just philosophically what you can uh, start to think about is, okay, maybe I'm not going to be able to afford to pay an influencer that has a lot of followers online, but everybody has a certain amount of influence. Everybody has a certain amount of impact. So let's turn our customers into influencers. Let's empower them. Let's give them incentives and or, uh, you know, some to- sort of, of gift or whatnot in order to, once they make their purchase, turn around uh, and share that purchase and then give them, you know, some sort of incentive to do that. Um, and so full disclosure, I'm, I'm on the advisory board of a, of a Shopify uh, add-on app called Guru Club that does just that. And basically what Guru Club does is uh, if you purchase the, the customers that use Guru Club, um, if you purchase something from them, they, you get a little notification that says, hey, if you post a picture of you with this product, uh, on your uh, Instagram story and tag us appropriately, we'll give you a 20% rebate. You know, we'll basically credit back your credit card, uh, well, a bit of your purchase price. That works really well for the business because they're not outlaying any money uh, to to spark that influence post. Um, they are selling a product up front, and then if they get the influence post, then they say, okay, well, we'll give you a little bit of rebate back. So they can factor all that into their pricing and whatnot to make sure that it's a good financial decision for them. What happens, at least from what I've seen from the company's results so far, and it's a very early stage company, um, but what I've, I've seen from the results so far is you'll get a couple of people who have you know, 150, 200 followers, but then you'll get someone who's got 36,000. And now all of a sudden you're tapping into this, you know, the influence of the crowd as it were. And that can give you enough momentum to build you up a little bit so that you've got a little bit of a budget to say, okay, now let's step it up a level. Stepping it up a level, I think, would be to go out there. There's some services that are basically trading product for, um, you know, content. And so um, the, a lot of influencers, especially the ones with, that, that do that for a living and, and have big followings, will say, I'm not just going to you know, post for content. You have to pay me as well. Yep. And, and, and I don't argue with them at all. They absolutely, if you create content, that's time, that's talent. There's, you deserve to be paid for that. But there are some people out there who are like, look, I'm just trying to build up to that point. So I will, in order to say that I've worked with a brand, any brand, I will take your product and give you a review if, if for just free product. There are companies out there. There's one called um, Apex Drop that basically builds programs using micro and nano influencers that are product exchange only. Now, there's a little bit more of a cost involved there because you want to get 150, 200 people involved. You don't want to do it with 10 folks. Um, If you're going to do it with 10 folks, try to find them yourself and do it manually. But if you're going to do it on scale a little bit, you're going to pay a little bit of money for a program like that, but you're not going to have to outlay hundreds of or thousands of dollars per influencer. So there's some stair steps to, to, to climb that ladder and get to the point to where you're actually making enough revenue from what you're investing in influencers to justify spending a little bit more. And then you can get into the, you know, either managed services or, you know, reaching out to larger size uh, influencers with their networks um, who are able to, um, you know, drive, you know, more people to your brand because they're just larger and you can afford to pay them. 
on your guys' end from the agency side, are you finding the influencers or are you running just the strategy part? Like, do you guys, like, how do yeah. you, how do it, it actually, it varies. Um, and we, I have the good fortune here of working with clients of different sizes. So we have a couple that are, you know, larger clients that invest, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in influencer marketing every year. And so they're going to use a managed service that I, you know, I'll basically be the go-between to go out and find either an Isaiah or a billion dollar boy or some of the other agencies out there that handle this kind of stuff. Um, because I have a small team here and I do a lot of the strategy work, but if I need to scale really quickly, I'm going to go out and find somebody in the influencer space that has the team to be able to scale up. Right. And so, um, you know, they might, and, and in those situations, I might say, hey, here's a creative brief on what we're looking for in terms of influencers and they go find them. Or we might know, hey, here are the 10 people we want to work with. So let's go do a contract with them. So it varies. Um, when we're talking about scalable stuff, we're normally, you know, working with a partner that has the tools and the experience to be able to scale based on a creative brief so that I don't have to spend a whole lot of manual time doing it. But then I also have a couple of clients who are like, we want Jason Falls to actually go find them because I have a tendency because of my experience to be able to surface kind of what they're looking for. Yeah, sure. So have you done, just to kind of get, I know a lot of people get, we've had a lot of people, you know, do posts with um, Kardashians and have you had, what kind of results have you seen from like humongous macro influencers like that versus like the micro? Talk to us a little bit about that. The, the, the macro influencers, and, and I've not done anything specific. Well, I've done a couple of like one-off charitable things with some celebrity celebrities, but the, which are always good because it's based on a, a charity. Um, but the, the macro influencers have a tendency, they have lower engagement rates because at that scale, they can't have one-to-one -one conversations and comment, you know, in all of their posts with all of their fans and whatnot, or at least they don't or don't do it on, on scale very well. Um, so they have a tendency to have lower engagement rates. That's not always bad. I mean, if your goal is awareness and you're just trying to get your message out there, you're not worried about, you know, basically communicating an idea consistently over time, then a mega influencer might be really good for you to just get that repetition of your brand out there in the marketplace um, and have some association with that particular influencer. Where you really get, I think, into very productive ca uh, categories is when you're in the mid-tier and micro and even nano, where you've got an influencer that uh, not only has a, a modest number of followers, a few thousand followers, you know, maybe from 10 to, let's say, 100,000 followers, but they have a really high engagement rate, meaning they get in there and have conversations with their fans, um, and they go back and forth. There's a lot of one-to-one -one kind of community management within their own following, those are the ones that have a tendency to really be persuasive for the partners that they work with and help communicate a message. I've got a, a client right now that we're trying to, over the course of six months, we want to um, associate the brand with the concept of innovation uh, in their industry. And so I'm going to influencers and saying, my deliverable here is to persuade your audience to think this way about the brand you tell me what that looks like. I'm not going to buy a post or 10 posts or five posts from you. I want you to help change your audience's mind about this client. And so if that takes a blog post a week for a year, okay, well, what does that look like financially, right? So I'm, I'm trying to work through a deliverable that's on a strategic level as opposed to a tactical level. Um, so there's lots of different ways to go about that. And, um, and we've seen success uh, from the larger influencers in terms of branding and awareness, the conversion metrics don't tend to do as well because, again, they don't have the high engagement rates. Right. Uh, for the mid-tier and down, though, that's where you can really get into some, uh, you know, changing minds and and pushing people to product. Yep, because we have um, we've done a few 
with nothing major, major, major. Um, well, actually, we had one do something with the Kardashians, and I don't remember what the results were from it. I wasn't really in the conversation. But we had one that did um, – what did they do? One did one with, like, Bruce Willis's daughter. We saw some decent results from it. But we've seen from the little stuff that we've been involved in a lot more success on the, the micro side, I guess, versus yeah. the mid – I would call them, I don't know if they're for a medium influencer, but sure. Mid tier is what we normally refer to them as. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and then we have another brand that we actually um, do some in-home stuff with. And we uh, went to Kylie Jenner's house and we actually put all the product in her house for free and all that kind of stuff. And now we're trying to figure out, you know, she called and wanted to re-up reorder and we gave it to her for free. And now the owner's like trying to figure out, okay, keep giving her this product for free and hopefully she'll post about it. But I w- we were like, yeah, I mean, she's not going to post about it for free until you, right. <laughs> you know, cut a check for half a well, million. And, and Kylie Jenner, I mean, that I've, I've worked on some, some strategies to get product in the hands of celebrities before. Kylie Jenner is savvy enough to know that, well, I, I don't have to post about this. Eventually, they'll pay me if they really want it uh, yep. because she makes, you know, a fair amount of revenue from influencer marketing stuff versus selling her product or being her, her own celebrity, that kind of thing. Um there are a lot of celebrities, though, uh, however, and this is why the, the Oscar gift bags and whatnot are so popular. There are a lot of celebrities who, if you give them a product, you know, once or twice and they become a customer, they become a fan, eventually they're going to, you know, you're going to have either paparazzi, you're going to take a picture of them with it, or they're going to post about it, or they're going to, it's going to be in the background of a, a photograph. I, you know, well, I mean, I mean, Kentucky and bourbon is a big thing here. Uh, everything was all, uh, you know, a, a, a blaze about a month or two ago when uh, there was a picture of Christy Teigen on some website somewhere, and there was a bottle of Bullet Bourbon on her like kitchen counter behind her over her shoulder. So it wasn't even a product placement; it was just she had Bullet in her kitchen. But Bullet took went went to town on PR with that because, you know, but it was just a coincidence. They didn't try to do that. I don't think. What did their sales do from it? Well, it's, I don't know that what their sales did, but I know what it did is it gave them the opportunity to say, look, our product is so good. Christy Teigen likes it. Like yeah. there was, there was a story in the local newspaper, the local television stations picked up on it. I mean, it was, you know, semi big news and it get, it gives them another reason to be in front of consumers. So even if, you know, you're at a Hollywood party and a paparazzi snaps a picture of, you know, somebody, you know, wearing your, your jacket or yep. a, a lady carrying your purse or wearing your shoes. If that picture shows up in a celebrity magazine, now all of a sudden you've got a reason to talk about your product on a different level. And you'll know if you go to the PR people who specialize in celebrity placement, it's not just about getting the product to the celebrity. It's about getting the paparazzi to go take a picture of the celebrity with the product, right? Yeah. They coordinate it all. It's funny you said that because I was actually going to say, I was, I've read articles about that where, and it was Kylie Jenner specifically, but the, she wore like one of these guys' sweaters or pair mm-hmm. of pants or whatever. And like literally, he said his business oh, yeah. erupted and he couldn't, like, from zero to a million, just like that, just from like what you were just saying, a picture of her wearing it. Um, yeah. And, and I think it's, it's, it's good for everybody to, to know and understand there are circumstances where celebrity influencers will do that. They'll open the floodgates for you, especially if you're a new product and you could potentially be hip and trendy and that celebrity is hip and trendy. Um, that, that, that's the formula for, for, you know, viral success. 
Um, and so I wouldn't, I wouldn't ever say don't use celebrity influencers because they cost too much money and they're not real effective. In some circumstances, they're going to be really effective. I mean, believe me, if, if I, I work with a, a brand called Weller Bourbon, and if, if we could wave a magic wand and get a celebrity in Hollywood to have his picture taken sipping on a Weller bourbon, it'd probably be somebody like Bradley Cooper. Now, Bradley Cooper doesn't drink. We know that. So that's not a possibility. But if we had a picture somewhere of Bradley Cooper, you know, drinking a Weller, you know, bourbon and having a bottle of Weller sitting beside him on the bar, the brand would go crazy. It would be fantastic. And it would, you know, do, it would probably do a great deal for at least awareness, if not sales. Um, I didn't know that. Is he, was he an alcoholic or something or just doesn't drink? Uh, I don't think so. I just think he doesn't drink. I just think he's, you know, healthy living kind of guy. And the reason I know that is because we thought he might make a good partner for Weller. And so we reached out to his people and said, would he be interested? And they said, he doesn't drink. I was like, oh, well, then he wouldn't be interested. No big deal. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have enough time to go Bradley Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I keep up with the Kardashians, though. That's the- oh, nice. Yeah. See, I don't. I don't really keep up with the Kardashians. I. I probably, other than Kim, I probably couldn't point out who the other ones are in a photo array. I just don't pay attention to it. <laughs> yeah, I got a weak weakness for girls in California that look good. So, well, there you go. <laughs> Everybody's got their thing. <laughs> I just want my wife to see this video. Uh, <laughs> um. No, but yeah, going back to the micro. So in terms of like actual apps, I know you had mentioned the Guru one and and I haven't used any apps other than there was one I used and I'm trying to think of the name of it. It worked pretty well, but it was basically you reached out to them through their platform. You actually sent the product through their platform, curated the videos. It was an all-in-one. It was relatively inexpensive. Um, It worked dope. Okay, but we didn't actually do it enough. I think really, you know, we did like 10 or 15 or 20 really, but we didn't see, it was, it was all right, but we didn't really specifically want to measure it specific as what we were talking before. Mm-hmm. What are, in that scenario I was giving of, you know, a new business startup. Um, I really like the, the guru. What was that one called? Guru club. Yep. Guru club. That sounds interesting. I'm going to look into that. Um, what are some other ones out there? that people can look into and research to really kind of be like, this will do it all for you from A to Z. Um, sure. Because I think influencer marketing is a really kind of a a big gap, I guess I would say, in ad, like in AdLix, we don't really have, honestly, we don't really have anyone and it probably would be get you, probably would be good, Luke, to get him a little more, more involved in the community if he wants to kind of be more involved. We'll get you kind of uh, in there. Uh, we don't really have a driving voice on the influencer mm-hmm. side that I would say, you know, specializes in that, that really sure. is like the, the person people would go to. Like we had, we get questions all the time of, Hey, do you have an influencer contract? Does anyone have an influencer marketing basic contract? And you know, nobody yeah. points up the dough. So I think I'd be interested to get you involved. Um, sure. you're willing want to kind of, I know you had said your partner kind of sends some stuff over. So we'll get you, we'll get you in touch with people and get you into the groups. Um, but going back to the app stuff, what how, how do people actually go f- get started? Got Guru, we talked about, and I've never used Biblo or whatever. I don't know right. if you have or not. But talk to me for 10, 15 minutes about that and how people can kind of start sure. making that journey into that. 
Sure. So the, the, the number of apps that are out there grows every day. And, you know, we were talking earlier about Guru Club, which is a really nice, you know, you know, right now it's a Shopify plugin, but they just recently launched a, a couponing platform that is open to anyone. So you don't have to be a Shopify customer to use Guru Club and incent your customers to post on their Instagram feeds for, you know, for a discount or a rebate. Uh, so that's a, that's a really nice entry point. Not very, you know, doesn't cost you a whole lot of money to use it either. Um, and, and you can get up into these, you know, these other apps that, um, you know, you can do sort of that are sort of automatic plugins to your e-commerce system. There's a handful of them out there. Guru Club's the one that I know the best. But then you get into the influencer marketing software where you're trying to use it to discover influencers. So that's the next step up. Will that be like what Grin would be? I've heard of that. Yeah, one. exactly. So you've got Grin. You've got, um, you know, there's one called, there's, Isaiah is a big company that has a lot of different layers, but they do have an Isaiah discovery platform that is a relatively cost-effective effective tool to search for influencers. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, you've got various and sundry promises out there from these different platforms that they have a, you know, they have a bazillion influencers in our platform and they just scrape information off the internet. Got to be careful which ones you're looking at. The lower, you the price point, probably the the more ineffective the data is going to be. But you can go all the way up to ones that cost, you know, tens of thousands of dollars a year. Um, I use a platform called Julius, um, and it is a platform that is, a you know, probably an enterprise level platform. It's going to run you, I think, the entry point for it somewhere in the neighborhood of 30K for the year. Um, but if you're a big enough company and you're investing, you know, the kind of money and, and attention and energy into influencer marketing where you really need to be able to find good influencers and have a tool that can help you manage a campaign and what Julius does that I really appreciate more than anything else is not only does it have, they have a team of researchers that go in and kind of vet the influencers that are kind of in their system and they will actually manually go in and put their contact information and things. So they have a level of review that other tools don't seem to tend to have. Um, but they also. Is that J U L I U S? Yeah. J U L I U S. I've got a, but my short code to get there is Jason.online slash Julius. So it's really easy to remember. Um, but at any rate, so, um, so they have, you can go in, in a campaign management thing, you can go in and basically make a list of the influencers you want to reach out to. You can add them to a campaign. You can assign a budget to the campaign. Um, you can do the outreach right in Julius if you want to. I had to have a tendency to just email them directly, but you can communicate in, in the platform. You can upload a contract, have them sign it, keep all your you know, uh, you know regulatory paperwork and whatnot in the platform as well. And then you can say, okay, I, what we've contracted here is you know two Facebook posts, two Instagram stories, and a YouTube video. Well, you can go plug those five pieces of content into the campaign, assign them a dollar value based on the contract you know that you're you've done with them, um, and then they use a hashtag that you and tell you when they're going to post it, and then it tracks based on that hashtag, it tracks that in the system so that you can actually look and get an ROI number, not on the influencer, not just on the, the, um, you know, the, the influencer or the campaign, but on every single piece of content. So I can look and know this YouTube video drove X amount of traffic, X amount of whatever. And if you've got all of your parameters connected and plugged in, you can look at the ROI number from a conversion standpoint. Um, but even if you don't have that, you can look at here's what I paid and then here's the engagement that I got out of it. So you can have some measure of dollar value success in terms of cost per engagement, cost per thousand, et cetera. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Have you used Grin before? 
Um, I haven't used Grin hands-on, uh, but I actually had their CEO on a uh, podcast, uh, on one of my podcast episodes not too long ago, and I did a demo of the platform, and it, it's it's a really good platform. There's uh, Grin is very good. There's one out there called Tagger that's very good. There's one called Tracker that's very good. Maverick is very good. <laughs> There's a bunch of them. Isn't Grin like? six figures or something like that. I can't remember. I got a quote from them once, but I think. Um, I'm not sure what their latest pricing numbers are, but they are an enterprise level platform, I believe. They are, the one thing that's really good for your audience about Grin is that they are basically custom made for direct to consumer. They're kind of built for that e-commerce direct to consumer brand. And so uh, Grin is definitely a platform worth checking out for sure. Talk to me a little bit about your books. I know you've wrote three books. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, it's funny. One of them is called Winfluence, Reframing Influencer Marketing to Ignite Your Brand. That's the name of my agency is Ignite Your Brand, which I trademarked, actually. <laughs> <laughs> An active trademark on that one. Talk to me a little bit about um, your three books. Yeah. So uh, the latest one, uh, obviously, is, you know, right where we've been talking, you know, influencer marketing. It's it's Winfluence, you know, reframing influence, uh, influencer marketing to ignite your brand, which is, as you said, and again, it goes back to that idea that we're thinking about influencer marketing the wrong way because we get that R in there. We've got to pull back and look at it from a broader perspective. And the book really goes into uh, sort of helping businesses and brands understand how to go into influence marketing with that broad perspective, shows you not only kind of the step-by-step how to do it, but also shows a lot of case studies of people doing it in imaginative ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it's a really practical book, um, written much more from a strategy level than a tactical level, um, but it's got the step-by-step how-tos and it's got a couple of scorecards in there too. So I've got a, an influencer scorecard where you can you know, take an influencer and grade them based on certain success metrics that you see out of their content and know how you can prioritize your influencers. And then I've got an ROI, kind of a measurement scorecard, where you can go in after your campaign and plug in your numbers and see what you got out of the campaign that you did. Um, go, I go into pretty good detail on the measurement piece of it all uh, in the book. Uh, is my third book. My first two are a little older. The first one I wrote um, was called No Bullshit Social Media. I wrote that with Eric Deckers in 2011. And just like Winfluence, it's kind of a strategic guide, but for social media marketing. Because back then, we had a lot of businesses and brands who were asking the question, what can social media do for me? Um, this was in you know, 2009, 2010. The book came out, I think, in 2011. And so we basically said, well, here's what social media can do for your business. Now you've got to decide what of those things you want it to do for your business. And then here's how to build out those strategies and, uh, you know, manage it. The book has done very well. Even today, it still sells a couple dozen copies a month online because we didn't write it about the the set of tools that were in the market then. You know, we didn't talk about clout. We didn't talk about, you know, the social networks that were around in 2011. We talked about social media strategy. Yep. Um, and that still applies today. So it still sells, you know, fairly well, even though it's, you know, several years old. And then my second book was called The Rebel's Guide to Email Marketing. I wrote that with DJ Waldo, who is a, an email marketing expert. And it was really about all of the rules that you hear about email marketing. You can throw them all out the window because we can show you exactly how people break the rules and actually succeed. And so it's a fun, fun read. Okay. I haven't heard of DJ Waldo. Luke, let's look into him. I don't know that name. For sure, yeah, look him up. And that's kind of interesting that you said that because that was going to be one of my questions is how has the scope changed from the book from, you know, when you wrote that in 2021 versus now, like Mm -hmm. 
you know, how did that shift? So, yeah, the, the, and to be honest with you, when I sat down to write Windfluence, um, I looked back at no bullshit social media and said, basically what I need to do is I need to write the no bullshit influencer marketing book. You know, it's, it's kind of what Windfluence became. It's not a formula. I didn't write the book the exact same way, but I did want to write something that was more evergreen that 10 years from now we could still be talking about and people still be buying and using because it makes sense strategically. Um, There's a lot of books out there about influencer marketing. In fact, there's, I think there's three that came out within a month of mine coming out. Um, And they're all good books, but they're all very, here's how to do it. They're they're tactical. Here's how to, you know, find influencers. Here's how to book them. Here's how to do that, you know, all that kind of stuff. And mine is more, let's talk about this from a very high level and how we need to think about influence marketing. And then there's some tactical stuff in there too. Talk to me a little bit. You mentioned two things, success metrics scorecard and an ROI scorecard. Mm -hmm. Talk to me how that, those checklists look kind of what, Sure, sure. So the three of the the three concepts I talk about in the book in terms of understanding which influencers you should use or what their priority should be is um, do they have reach, do they have relevance, and do they have resonance? And so if they have reach, obviously that's how many people can they get in front of? Not the most important factor. It's not always a, you know a very important factor, but obviously if you're trying to create awareness, you want to get in front of more people. So reach is important. Then relevance is you know are they relevant to your brand or to your audience? Do they fall in line from a content perspective in the type of content that that particular audience um, you know likes to consume, is enthusiastic about, is interested in, and how does your brand fit in with that? Is it relevant? And then the resonance piece is how how engaging are they? How um, uh, how deeply involved are their fans? Do they, is there a lot of commenting? Is there a lot of sharing? Does their content resonate with that audience? And so I've broken that down, um, you know, in three different sort of categories and said, okay, here are the metrics you want to look at to score someone on a scale of one to 10 of how, you know, uh, how what their reach is like, what their relevance is like, and what their resonance is like. And then there's a scorecard that adds up to a score, you know, between zero and 100. And if you do that for all the, let's say you're looking at 10 influencers, you do that for all 10, you can prioritize them and say, we want this one, number one, because they have a higher score. So I've got a a way for you to prioritize your influencers in there. The other scorecard, and by the way, within the next couple of weeks, I'm launching like the the online version of these scorecards so people could just go to my website and plug it in and and spit out the PDF and have something there so they don't have to copy the pages out of the book. Mm -hmm. Um, But the other scorecard is the Winfluence Success Scorecard, and that is one where I say, based on your campaign goals, whether it be awareness or conversion or, you know, changing the thought, you know, in the, in the industry about your product or service. Based on that, I've got these little components of, okay, um, put in the number of, uh, you know, your number of reach, put in your impressions, put in your uh, number of engagements, uh, put in your cost. um, And then it, the, the, the formula breaks it all down so that you get a CPE that you can compare apples to apples to other cost per engagement you know, channels. You get a CPM if that's your thing. You get a cost per post if that's your thing. So you have all these cost metrics that are averages so that you can then look at that compared to your pay-per-click, compared to other channels that you know those metrics so that you can start to see where influence marketing sits. The only thing I would say about that is if you get to that point and you're like, okay, the cost per thousand for pay-per-click is $2.14. The cost per thousand for influence marketing is going to be higher than that. It's a different economic structure. So that doesn't mean pay-per-click is better or more effective. It means it's cheaper. 
You know, um, it might be that your pay-per-click gets in front of a thousand people, but only, you know, causes one or two conversions. Influence marketing might cost 10 times as much, but get in front of a hundred times more people and cause 50 times more conversions. So you have to look at it more thoroughly than just, just that one number, but it at least gives you a comparison point. Okay. No, that makes sense. Um, anything that we missed that you feel like audience should know about kind of, new things out there um, that are just, you know, like that, I guess what I'm trying to say is what, what are most brands not doing, which I would assume probably one of them is influencer marketing. Mm -hmm. um, but what else out there that you're involved in from a PR perspective, SEO perspective, yeah. um, what's the low hanging fruit for these smaller <laughs> brands? Um, you know, I, I think for, for smaller brands, your low hanging fruit is always your, your own customers. You know, if, if, again, I go back to the whole concept of, of the, that app guru club, if you can find a cost effective, cost efficient way of turning your own customers into advocates for your brand, man, that's, there's a lot of value in that. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and even going back to my first book, Eric and, and I wrote about his wife, Tony, who drove at the time a Toyota RAV4 and she loved that RAV4 so much. She convinced, I think it was her parents, her brother and a friend to buy RAV4s. Okay. Now she didn't have a huge online audience, but you know, she was a customer of Toyota, bought a RAV4 and loved it so much for, I'm sure many reasons that she talked to other people into buying a, you know, what is 16, $17,000 car probably at the time. Um, and so the low hanging fruit is always the fruit that's sitting right in front of you. It's right there. These people are buying from you or they have bought from you and sent them use a guru club to incent them to post on social networks so that they'll tell their friends, I just bought from this, this company and they're great, or this product's awesome. That's the low hanging fruit that I don't think, you know, so many people are focused on customer acquisition that they forget that customer retention and customer loyalty piece is really, really powerful. So I would start there. Yeah, I actually agree. And this whole discussion, actually, you know, I would have never considered myself an influencer, but I actually look into probably how much, I actually influence people in directions that they go with apps or sure. things that they choose because of just my experience and knowledge. And I guess, I guess <laughs> I would never call myself, but I guess I do influence. Like you said, it's yeah. more extreme micro, but kind of opened my eyes to, wow, I actually am, you know. I yeah, you, you, you definitely are. I mean, you have a community of people that pays attention to what you say. You know, you have an impact on, on the decisions they make to purchase certain things. I don't necessarily think it, I would call it micro influence. I just call it niche influence. You know, you're they're, you're not, they're not going to trust you for what tennis used to buy. Yeah. Um, but they're going to trust you for, you know, apps that are going to help them with their marketing. Yep. No, makes sense. I, you said one thing in there that I would like to get, um, and there was a big argument about this years back, but what are obviously the larger you cast your net when you go from micro to mid to macro, your engagement rates drop. But what is a good engagement rate of where people should look to? And I believe there was a free app that Tim had me use a while back um, with one of the other things that we had ventured off into. I can't remember the name of it, but it basically allowed you to get their followers and kind of see how many posts there. It basically gave you the engagement metric. Sure. Uh, what, you know what app I'm talking about? You probably have one. And then what well, is 
I don't know specifically what you're talking about, but I mean, all of the influencer marketing software platforms will show you what the engagement rate is. It's kind of a standard metric beyond the number of followers. That's the number, probably two thing that people look at. It should be the number one thing in my opinion, but it's the number two thing. But, you know, engagement rate, um, you know, for, you know, the larger influencers, and, and, and I would say the answer is what, to, to what a good engagement rate is, is it depends because you have to compare it to the other influencers you're looking at. Yeah. And to, to just do some quick math, and I'm not real great with math, so bear with me if yeah. I screw this equation up. But let's say I've got an influencer that has 100,000 followers mm-hmm. and a 1% engagement rate. That means 1,000 people are really going to engage with that content. Right. Well, what if I have someone that has 20,000 followers and a 10% engagement rate? Now I got twice as many people engaging with the content. I'm going to spend my money with the 20,000 follower, not the 100,000 follower. So you've got to look at it in in a comparison in contrast to something else. So if I'm dealing with a Kardashian who has a hundred and whatever million, you know, a 0.001 engagement rate is still a lot of freaking people. Right. Um, and so I've got to do that math to understand how, how many people is this going to really engage if the goal is engagement. If it's just, I just want my logo to appear in front of their face for a few seconds, then you're not worried about engagement. You're worried about followers, impressions, reach. But if the engagement, if, if having the influencer actually talk to engage their audience and motivate them to do something is the goal then that engagement rate number is critically important. So you need to know the number of followers and the number and the engagement rate or the reach and the engagement rate so that you understand how many people you are really getting in front of and to consider your product. Yep. That's a really good point. Actually never would have even done that math because I'm terrible at math as well. <laughs> I'm really not good at math. I've got a calculator I, handy at well, all times. <laughs> yeah, I felt basic algebra, I think three times in college. So yeah, but I learned how to use a spreadsheet. So yeah, I know. <laughs> I know I have a CPA and ROAS, but once you start getting a little more complicated than that, it's just. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, Luke, did you have any, uh, Luke, did you have anything for him? No, I think we covered it all. Uh, I'm just going to get to shooting this out to people. All right. Well, I appreciate the time, Jason. Um, If you want to hang around after, I do have a couple questions for you on some other things. Sure. Um, I'd like to see if we can get something going with um, with ad leaks for our members with you. Okay. Um, but I do appreciate your time. It's great insight. I uh, love to get you in the community, um, get people pegging questions at you. Um, sure. Get you to influence. Our community. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. I'm happy to stick around and chat. All right. I appreciate it. Uh, thank you, everybody. And um, next week we have Jason Swank. Thank you, everyone. And we will see you next week.